All right, good morning, church family. I am excited to be with you today. Half of us. <laughs> it's funny having a church this side go to two, two services, but we are living in some crazy times. Um, I want to welcome you guys to, to our family, the, the Connect Church family. Um, and if you're our guest, I want you to know that, that you are most welcome, that we are excited to have you here and be able to, I hope, I hope you have a good time, I hope you enjoy this, um, but more than that, I hope that we get to be a family to you, that we get to welcome you in um, and, and deepen our relationship with you and, and just be a place where you can be loved, be a community to you. Um, and, and that's what we are all about. We are all about at Connect, um, connecting the, the problems of this world, and we've got some, with the, the power of God who's the only one who can save us from them. Um, and we are excited about that. Um, you've got in your bulletins some notes that you can use to follow along and fill in and, and study later. Those are really helpful. Um, if you're in one of our small groups, we'll also talk about those um, as we um, go into our time uh, this afternoon or whenever you guys meet. Um, so we've been going through, you can see our series up here, um, a series called What Does It Take to Be a Superhero? Um, and we talked about how, you know, as we come out of the, the craziness of isolation and quarantine and all that, um, that, that it can feel like we've been put down, we can feel like we've been um, held down and, and made to feel weak. Um, but really, with God, we have incredible power. And with God, we don't come out of this, you know, crawling out of a cave, you know, at our, on our last legs. We come out with power like Jesus did. Jesus, Jesus did not come crawling out of the tomb. Jesus broke the rock, right? Amen? Jesus busted out of the grave with power that nothing could stop. And that's how we bust out of the situations that we're in. Not because we're great, but because we serve a God who's got unlimited power. And so we've talked about how every superhero has weaknesses. We have to acknowledge that from the beginning because we don't always feel like superheroes, right? A lot of times we don't feel like we have all this power, but, but really even when you look at superheroes, they've got weaknesses, they've got flaws, they've got things that hold them down. And then we talked about having super strength and what it takes to get the strength that only God can provide. This morning we're going to focus on having super service, that, that superheroes provide super service, you know, one of my all-time, you know, I went through a lot of superhero phases um, as I grew up. And I've told you about some of those. Um, but the one that stuck around the longest, my main favorite superhero phase was X-Men. I loved the X-Men. Um, I thought it was so cool how they all had different powers and they all worked together. But what was wild about the, the X-Men universe is that you had an, a really an equal number of powered individuals. You had these mutants who had these, these amazing things that they could do, and some of them worked for good, and some of them worked for evil, and so it wasn't the power level that made the superhero. They were all equally powerful. They all could do incredible things. It, it wasn't that they were powerful that made them superheroes. What separated the superheroes, not just from normal people, but from, from people who were also powerful, is whom they served. The only difference between the superheroes and the supervillains is who they served. The supervillains served themselves. They were concerned about protecting themselves and doing what, what benefited them the most. And the superheroes would often put themselves at risk and do things that were, were detrimental to themselves to serve others. They were always focused on serving other people. And that's really the only thing that separated the supervillains from the superheroes. And that's just as true in our world. You know, we, what separates us, what decides whether we are a church that has power, whether we are a church full of superheroes, or whether we are a church that's ineffective, is whom we serve, whom we choose to serve. 
We can choose to serve ourselves or we can choose to serve others. In Mark 10, 43, Jesus is talking about to his disciples. And his disciples are talking about who's going to be the hero, who's going to be the greatest. And they're arguing over it, like, I'm going to be the greatest, I'm going to be the greatest. And I want to point something out here. Jesus never tells them, you shouldn't want to be great. He never says it's a bad thing to be great. I think a lot of times that's how we read that, like, stop arguing about being great. He doesn't argue that they shouldn't want to be great. He says, let's define greatness the right way. In Mark 10, 43, he says, if one of you wants to be great, you must be the servant of the rest. He doesn't say don't want to be great. He says this is how you get there. Jesus wants us to be great. There's no shame in wanting to be great at something. There's especially no shame in wanting to be great at being a child of God. Right? Jesus tried to do everything with all of his might, with all of the strength he had. You know, be perfect as I am perfect, right? Like Jesus called us to be great. There's no shame in that. I want to be a church that's great, but I want to be great at the right things. I don't want to look great. I don't want to be great at, at looking like I've got it all together. I want to be great at doing the things that Jesus was great at. There was a, a speaker we had. We used to have this uh, statewide retreat at our, with our campus ministries in Florida, and there was a speaker that we'd have in, and every time we had him in, Every time I looked over at him, the people that were around him, he always had like little kids around him. Or we had this one guy who was like in a wheelchair because he couldn't use one of his legs and his arms. And, and he, the, the people that were around him were always the most vulnerable. They were always the ones who, from a worldly standpoint, looked like they could offer the least. And yet that's always who congregated around him. And I looked at that and I'm like, man, I want to be great at that. Like that's the kind of, I want to attract the people that, that, the world pushes aside, that the world has no time for. I want to be the one, I want to be great at being the one, just like Jesus. Look at who Jesus had around him. Jesus was always surrounded by rejects and by people that, that the world had no time for. And as someone who spent some time, as, as someone who, didn't, who people didn't have a lot of time for, um, thank God, thank God that Jesus is the one who draws us in, who draws us messed up, isolated people in and, and lifts us up. I want to be great like that. That's the kind of greatness that I want to go for. So I'm going to go through this morning five essentials that will help us become super servants. These are five things that are just must-haves if we're going to serve the way that Jesus served and if we're going to serve like superheroes do. And the first one is, and this is the most important, is that I must be loving. In order to provide super service, I must be loving. And so we're going to view these ideas of how to be a super servant through a passage in John 13. In John 13, Jesus is coming up right up to the end of his, his time on this earth. And this is his last interaction with his disciples before really everything comes from a, you know, again, from a worldly standpoint, falling apart. These are his last moments he has with them. And the words that he chooses here are very intentional. The things that he does and the words that he chooses are on purpose. And so we're going to go through some of the things that he chose to do in his last moments. And the, the first thing he emphasizes is that you must be loving in order to serve like Jesus did. In, in John 13, 1, it says, Jesus loved his disciples who were in the world. So he now showed them how much he really loved them. In other versions, it says he loved them to the very end. And both of those are true. When you look at the Greek word there for the kind of love that it's talking about, it's, it's talking about a love that, um, that persists and a love that is deep. It is both of those things. It's how much and how long and how long it lasts. It's all of that. It's the kind of love that, that pushes us forward, that lasts. 
that's deep, that has substance to it. That's the kind of love that we're going to be required to have if we're going to be able to serve like Jesus did. And, and again, the love of Jesus was the foundation of everything he did. That's why he did what he did. Always. He was always compelled by love. It was never out of selfish ambition. It was never out of how he felt like he would look when he did it. It wasn't out about, it certainly wasn't about what others would give to him, because if that was the case, he would have quit pretty early on. It was all about how much he loved the people that he was serving. In Ephesians 5, 2, it says, Your life must be controlled by love, just as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. Controlled by love. When we go to the store, see, Jesus had essential needs. He had things that everyone needs. He ate, he drank, he, you know, he slept, he rested. He, he had needs that everyone had. But underlying all of that was a more substantial need, a need that drove him to do things, sometimes leaving those other things behind. But there's always an underlying need to love as God loves. And so we go to the store, but we're not just driven by a need for bacon, right? We go to a job, but we're not just driven by a need for a paycheck, right? We're, we're driven by something else as we do those things. Yes, I go to the store, but while I'm there, I have another need that's there. I have a need to love, and so I'm going to look at people differently. I'm going to treat people differently, right? I'm going to spend my money differently, and I'm going to go to my job, and, and yes, I do need a paycheck, and I want to support my family, and God tells us to support ourselves and our families, but that's not the only reason I'm there. It's not even the main reason I'm there. And so I'm going to treat my coworkers with that in mind. And I'm going to treat the people that I interact with, my customers and the people that I, I work around differently. Because I'm not just there to get a paycheck. That's not what's driving me. That's not what's controlling me. It's something I do, but it's not the overarching controlling thing. Love is the thing that controls me. Jesus has a lot of needs in, in John 13. He is worn out. It's been a long three years. He's put up with, with constant abuse. He's put up with really unreliable disciples sometimes. Um, he's put up with, with crowds that come and then leave him as soon as things start to get you know momentum going. He's put up with threats on his life, with, with people making fun of his mom. For years, he's, he's exhausted. He's just beat. And at the end of that, with all the needs that he has, and as exhausted and worried as he is, he's still controlled by his need to love others. It doesn't turn off. He doesn't use that as an excuse to disengage from the people around him and stop loving the way that, that God loves others. I don't think the challenge for us is to be controlled by love. I think we're always controlled by love. I think, again, like the greatness question what we need to be mindful of is what, what are we loving? What lo the love of what? You know, what's controlling us? Because we're going to chase after the things that we care about. We're going to chase after and spend time doing the things that we care about. But the Bible constantly tells us to, to be mindful about what we love. In, in Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it is the wellspring of life. You know, whatever you love is going to control you. In Matthew 6.24, it says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. We're going to be controlled by what we love. And so when our acts of service, when we do serve others, but they come out of a love of self, they're not going to work. If, it, if we're serving because we feel like that's what we have to do, 
then it's not going to come off as genuine. It's not going to land the way it landed with Jesus. And we're not going to do the things that Jesus did. We're not going to go to the lengths that Jesus did. That, that kind of love that we talked about that has depth and persistence, where that's not going to be there. And so we may serve for a little bit, but eventually it's going to stop because it's not rooted in love. You know, if we're serving because we want to get something out of someone, well, that's going to end pretty quick, right? Because eventually, even if that's something, even if it's not material gain, even if you're just serving because you want praise or affirmation or, you know, or, or a, you know, a pat on the back, eventually someone's not going to give that to you. Eventually, you're not going to get <laughs> the, what you're looking for out of people. And if that's why you're doing it, if that's the main motivation, it's, you're going to stop. You're not going to be able to serve like a superhero serves. But if love is what motivates us, then that pushes through all of that. Then I'm not dependent on your reaction. Then I'm not dependent on, on how it goes. I'm, I'm controlled by my love for you because we have time for the things that we love. In Romans 13, 8 through 10, it says, When you love others, you complete what the law has been after all along. The law code, don't sleep with another person's spouse. Don't take someone's life. Don't take what isn't yours. Don't always be wanting what you don't have. And don't, all the other don'ts you can think of, they finally add up to this. Love other people as well as you do yourself. Love other people as well as you do yourself. You can't go wrong when you love others. And I, I love that. The message, you know, it's, the message is what we pulled that from. And I want to say paraphrases are helpful. We need to be mindful. This is not a translation. If you ever pick up the message, it's, it's a guy who read the Bible and said, this is um, what I'm pretty sure he's saying here. Um, so I, I love the way he puts this, and I think he's spot on, but we need to be mindful of that when we're going through. But I think he's exactly right, that you cannot go wrong when you love others. You know, if, if you really love someone, you will serve them even when you're frustrated with them, right? Have you guys served someone even when you're frustrated with them? Right. I don't love I don't serve my kids because they're my kids. Right. Just the fact that they're my kids does not cause me to serve them. And we know that because a lot of us had parents who we were their kids and they didn't they weren't there for us. Right. So just the fact that they are kids does not make us serve them. I serve my kids because I love them. And what they give me back or what they choose to do about that is not going to prevent me from doing that. My love for them controls me. My love for them compels me. And so I'm not fed by what they choose, how they react. They can slam the door. They can say they, they hate me. They can run away. Nothing's going to stop me from loving and serving them. Isn't that what Jesus does? Isn't that what Jesus did? No matter how many times we turn away, no matter how many times we say, if not by our words, then by our actions, I hate you. I reject what you want for my life. I reject what you tell me I need to do. No matter how many times we slam the door, Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. He's controlled by his love by us. He can't help but come to our rescue, because, not because he's powerless, but because he's powerful. He's got a powerful kind of love, and it controls him. And because of that, when Jesus serves, it looks different. When Jesus serves, people stand up and they take notice, and it changes lives. And everything we talk about after this, all the other different things that we need to do in order to be super, super servants have to be rooted in love or it's not going to land and it's not going to last. We've got to be people that love the way that Jesus loves. The next thing that we need, the second thing that we need in order to be super servants is I must be aware 
I have to be aware of what's going on around me because I can have all the love in the world, but if I don't see what's going on around me, I'm not going to be able to apply it. Again, think about all the things that Jesus had going on in his mind in John 13. Jesus, at this point, knows how this is going to play out. We know that because he tells his disciples how it's going to play out. So nothing here is catching Jesus by surprise. And so what he knows is that 11 of his closest friends, the, the 11, 11 of the people that stayed when all the crowds left are about to abandon him. And the only one who isn't about to leave him is about to betray him to his enemies. So everyone who's been following Jesus over the last few years is about to abandon him. And he knows that. He knows that at this point. And yet in John 13, 1 through 2, it says it was almost time for the Jewish Passover feast. Jesus knew that it was time for him to leave this world and go back to the Father. Jesus and his followers were at the evening meal. The devil had already persuaded Judas Iscariot to turn against Jesus. And what we see in the next few verses, and what we'll talk about in the next few verses, is that Jesus loves them knowing all of that. Even though he knows, he's aware, he's not blind to the fact that he's got every reason to tell these guys to just go away based on what they're about to do to him. But he's also aware of something else. And this is the kind of awareness he needs. He's aware that there is more to the story than just how he feels. There's more to the story than just him. That there's more at stake. I think it's really important that we're aware that the world is not just us. I've, I've had to teach my kids um, to be aware of their surroundings, right? Not to run out in the street and be aware of the car that's coming, right? I've had to teach them to to be aware, to not walk right in front of them. All of my kids, you know, just when we're at the mall, they'll just run over and, like, you know, cut someone off and, and you know, trip somebody up. And, um, you know, we had to tell the kids to stop running at the, the place you were worshiping before because they just bowl over old ladies. You know, like, you got to teach kids to be aware. Um, you know, I've, I've been to Walmart and met some grown-up kids that never learned those lessons. <laughs> but you've got you've to teach people to be aware of their surroundings and, and, and to consider others above themselves. By the time we get to John 13, it would be easy for Jesus to be caught up into what he's going through. I think about the foot washing, and if I was doing the foot washing, knowing whose feet I was washing and what they were about to do, I'd feel like I'd just be like crushing their toes, like, ah, take that, you know, like, I'll wash your feet. You know, like, you don't know, but I know. <laughs> You're going to know that you deserve this in a little bit, trust me. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know that I would have had the awareness that Jesus had of, of how important that moment was. Um, but Jesus knew it, it, was, it was time. It, was, it wasn't time to get revenge, preemptive revenge. It was, it was time to serve. It was time to teach them what was most important. He was aware of, of the bigger picture. You know, when we're not going through a global pandemic, um, we typically have people at our house a lot. We love having people at our house. Um, we've got neighborhood kids running through the house screaming. We've got, you know, friends from church and work, you know, coming in and, and hanging out with us and um, and we, we love that. We love having a house full. I think that's really cool. Um, and yet, as much as I love that, I, there are times where I'm, I just want to rest, where I just want to step back, and it can, be, it can be a little overwhelming when the third kid runs in screaming, waving a popsicle around, right? Like, it, it can be a little overwhelming at times, and it would be easy to get frustrated, and the only thing that keeps me from that, the thing that keeps me from being frustrated and turns me to being thankful is, is awareness. It's an awareness that one day my kids won't be running around the house. 
one day they're going to be off doing their own thing. And I'm, I'm going to miss the days where I had s- kids screaming, running through the house. You know, there may be a day. We're blessed right now with a, with a house that we can invite people into and bring people in. I'm not entitled to that. There may be a day where we don't have that, where we don't have the resources to do that, or, or something comes up and we're not able to do it. Maybe the, a virus will hit, for example, and no one's allowed to come over to the house, right? And you're just like, man, like I, I miss all those times where I was stressed out and I had, you know, I'd give anything to have people clogging up my toilets again, right? Like, it, you know, it's, you, miss, you miss having people in the house when they're not there. You miss things that used to frustrate you. You miss, you know, oh, man, I can't stand work. Well, when you go without a paycheck for three months, right, then maybe you start appreciating that a little more. There's an awareness that, that dawns on you that, man, maybe that work thing wasn't so bad. Yeah, there you go, <laughs> the paycheck, right? There's an awareness from Jesus of the bigger picture. There's an awareness that allows him to appreciate how precious that time was, even though there was a lot of stuff going wrong. There's always going to be a lot of stuff going wrong. It wasn't going well for Jesus at that point. He didn't have crowds flocking to him, and the, clou- the crowds that were about to flock to him were the same ones who were going to say, let his blood be on the head of ourselves and our children. Right? Like that's, it's not going well. for. He's got every reason to be distracted at this point. But he's aware, even in the midst of the distractions, he's aware of why God put him there and the precious opportunity that he's got. You know, we can be so stuck in our own routines, the stuff that we do over and over again, that we just lose awareness. Um, you know, my daughter Kaylee, um, you know, is, is like all of us, and sometimes she is less aware of her surroundings, especially when doing things that, that she does over and over again. I got her permission to embarrass her. Perils of being a PK, right? Um, but... So she's taking a shower like, you know, she's done hundreds of times, and, uh, and she just takes her towel and, and throws it on the counter. Well, Crystal loves candles very much. She likes our house smelling nice, and there was a candle lit in the bathroom. <laughs> and so Kaylee throws her towel in the same corner, but there's a candle there. <laughs> and so Kaylee's just going about her business, brushing her hair, and then all of a sudden she comes out and tells Crystal, I think my towel's on fire? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> whoa, <laughs> you know, and Crystal's washing dishes, and all of a sudden, it's like, react, you know, it's like, this is, t- <laughs> the, the circumstances have changed, there was a, just, sometimes, there are things going on around us, that are really intense, and that deserve a reaction, and we're so busy doing the things we've done over and over again, we don't even notice it, you guys seen the meme online, that's like, it's the dog sitting in a house, and the, the whole house is engulfed in flames, and he just says, this is fine, yeah, this is fine, that's how we are sometimes. We're just walking around, and we've got people going through situations that deserve a reaction. We've got people that are around us that, that are going through things that, that are worthy of our attention, that deserve our awareness, that are bigger than the, the distractions and the bad things that we have going on. And if we're not aware of that, then we can look unloving, and we can, our service can suffer from that. Our ability to serve can suffer from that when we don't know what's going on when we're not careful to be aware of what's going on. So how do we keep our awareness? How do we keep the kind of awareness that Jesus had, the kind of awareness that let him stay aware when he was on the cross, right? When he was, when he was conquering death, you know, when he was going through all these things, Jesus kept his focus. How do we keep that awareness? I think the first thing that we, we can do is, is I'll be more aware if I open my eyes. If I open my eyes, I'll be more aware. In, in John 4.35, it says, don't you have a saying? 
It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. The harvest is now. Jesus says that the opportunities are right now. It's not tomorrow. It's not next year. It's not when you finish your degree. It's not when you get the next promotion. It's not when your schedule gets easier. The fields are ripe for harvest right now. And we need to open our eyes to that and stop closing them willfully because we're distracted by all the stuff going on. The harvest is right now. And if we'll open our eyes to that, we're going to see stuff that we overlooked before. And we're gonna, when you really begin to look at people, when you look at the people around you and don't just treat them like props in your, in your play, right? Like your coworker is not, you know, tree number three in the school play, right? They're a person and, and they're really important. As important as you seem in your life, that's how important they are in their life. And that's how important they are in God's life. They're not just scenery and we've got to start seeing people as souls as people who matter and when we open our eyes to that then it changes the way we interact it changes the way that we serve people stop becoming roadblocks and distractions and they start becoming opportunities to show god's love we've got to open our eyes we'll also be more aware if i open my ears i'll be more aware if i open my ears there's a man named bartimaeus um, that jesus comes across at one point bartimaeus is blind and so it's hard for him to get people's attention. He can't just like run over and like grab your arm, right? He can't find you. And so when Bartimaeus, when Jesus comes to, to town, it says in, in Mark 10, 47 through 49, when blind Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he sh- I'm, sure he, I'm sure he sh- shouted it over and over and over again, right? Because he, this is urgent. This is, he's not playing games here. He's not like, let me get your autograph, right? This is, this is his life. This is his reality at stake. And he's shouting and he's shouting and he's shouting. And it says, be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and he said, tell him to come here. Jesus heard, I'm sure it was just as annoying to Jesus as it was for everyone else. And yet all anyone else heard was the annoyance. And all Jesus heard was the opportunity. The opportunity to serve. We've got to open our ears because sometimes the people that are the most annoying, the people that that everyone else is tuning out are the ones who most desperately need the love. A lot of times the ones who are who most people are tuning out are the ones who need the love. And we've got to be able to look past some of that and and hear the hurt behind the. The acting out behind the, the things that maybe we don't enjoy as much. There's more to the story and we've got to have ears to hear it. And then finally, we'll be more aware like Jesus. I'll be more aware like Jesus if I open my heart. In Matthew 9, 36, it says, What pity he felt for the crowds that came, because their problems were so great, and they didn't know what to do or where to go for help. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks out at the people, and he sees all that they're going through. And he says they're like sheep. And in this time, we don't, it's hard right now, because we're, what is a sheep to us? Like we don't, I don't interact with sheep. That's not something that holds great significance for me. But in Jesus' time, sheep were valuable. Sheep had, they were, they were what provided, you know, meat and clothing and, and all these resources. They were a sign of wealth. They were a sign of great value. And they were also very vulnerable because if you leave the sheep without a shepherd, they will die. They'll drown themselves in a river. They'll run into a wolf, right? They're, they're going to die. They are valuable and they are vulnerable. And I think we, it's important for us to understand what Jesus says when he looks out on us, 
not them, but us, and says, they're like sheep without a sheep. You are valuable and you are vulnerable. And my heart goes out to you. And I want to remedy both of those. Th- I, want to, I want you to feel your value and I want to protect you in your vulnerability. His heart went out to the people. Again, they weren't just, they weren't just enemies. They weren't just people who were, who were in his way. They were valuable and they were vulnerable and his heart went out to them. And that's why he was able to serve. Because he could see them and he heard them and his heart went out to them. And he was always aware of what needed to happen. In John three, First John three seventeen, it says, "If someone has money enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? If you're okay, if you're fine, but the house is burning down around you, there's there's got to be some awareness there. You know, so you're doing well at work. Good, I'm glad. What if everyone else isn't?" What if other people are hurting? Right? We've got to be aware of what's going on around us. We've got to be aware, and, and we must be the people who care, not by making ourselves feel that, not by trying to generate that in ourselves, but by, by genuinely being aware of the love that God has for us and then letting that overflow on the people around us. We've got to be aware of that. So we've got to... We've got to love like Jesus loved. We need to be aware in order to see the opportunities. The third thing that we need in order to be super servants is I must be secure. Insecure people will never serve in the way that Jesus did because they believe that the role of a servant is below them. Because they they need to have their role defined by status and and who's serving them. If we're going to serve like Jesus, Jesus was able to serve and do humiliating things because he was utterly and completely secure in his identity in God. He never doubted it for a second. In John 13, 3, again, going in the same passage with the foot washing, it says Jesus knew that the Father had given him power over everything. He also knew that he had come from God and was going back to God. Listen to where Jesus gets his security from in there. He knew that God had given him power. This is the definition of what it means to be secure in Christ. You know that God has empowered you. You remember where you came from, and you know where you're going. That's what it means to be secure in Christ. You remember where you, you, you know that God's given you power. You remember where you came from, and you know where God's taking you. That's ultimate security. And when you become secure in that, you will be able to wash the feet of the biggest messes around you. You'll be able to wash the feet of the people that you had no time for before because you're not worried about how you measure up. You're not worried about what it'll look like. When you're secure, you don't worry about any of that. None of that factors in. You just go and you serve. You fulfill the need. In in Ephesians 2.10, it says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. He custom built you through all of your trials and all of your difficulties and with your personality and your strengths and weaknesses. He he designed you and he doesn't do anything wrong. And he made you exactly right in exactly the way he needed to in order to be able to do things that no one else could do. You are his masterpiece and there's security in knowing that. You don't need anyone else to tell you what you're worth. You don't need anyone else to tell you what you can do. Jesus, God designed you to do something, and he's setting you up to do it. 
and you have been shaped in ways and, and given stories that allow you to do things that I can't do and that Lynn can't do and that Josh can't do and, and no one else can do. You can do things that no one else can do because of who you are, because of who God made you. That's security. There's security in knowing that. There's security in putting my identity in that. In Ephesians 3.20, it says, With God's power working in us, with the power that God uses in us, He can do much, much more than anything we can ask or think of. You'll do superhero stuff when you rest in Him and you know whose you are. But we have to be secure enough to allow God to use us in the ways that maybe we're afraid of otherwise. What do I look like? What if I fail? Right? What if people don't like it? All the things that hold us up, those are all insecurities. I know because I say those things to myself all the time. I'm aware of what that feels like. Right? I'm not immune from that. We always make a joke that uh, when you're given lessons to teach at some of the retreats we go through, they always pick things that you need to hear. Right? <laughs> and so Crystal and I got the insecurity lesson. We're like, all right, fair. But all those things are lies. They're lies that Satan tells us that, that, that that's what matters, that that's the most important thing. You're not going to die if you mess up on a couple notes. I've, I've stuttered my way through, you know, half the sermon. I keep messing up on my L, my SH sounds, and all that. Like I'm, I'm thinking about that as I preach, right? But nobody's, nobody's worried about that because the power is in the Word. And if I'm, if I'm sitting, if I just stood up here and read the verses that are on my page, your lives could be changed by that. And none of my insecurities will stand in the way of that. And none of the things that I'm worried about are going to stop that because the power of God is more than my weakness. In fact, the power of God is amplified through my weakness, just like we talked about. And it's the same for you guys. Whatever it is that you're worried that could happen, that you're worried could go wrong when you try to serve someone, if you mess it up, it's going to be endearing. It's going to be like it, God's going to use that to build rapport. Like uh, anything that you think could go wrong, God's going to turn that to his benefit and to their benefit and to your benefit. We can be secure in knowing that if we jump, that, that God's going to catch us and carry us through. The fourth thing that we need in order to be super servants is I must be humble. Foot washing was, was a common thing in Jesus' time, and for good reason. Because we sit down at a table, and we have our, you know, we sit down in a chair, and our feet are on the floor, and our heads are up here, and, and I am distantly, pleasantly removed from y'all's feet, right? I am glad that we eat the way that we eat. But in Jesus' time, you reclined at a table. You laid down on your side, and so your face was near the next person's feet. Tragically, also in this time, people walked everywhere, down streets that were full of dust and camel waste and, and things that, that you don't want near your face when you're eating, right? And so when you put those two things together, your feet near my face and your feet being super gross, right, then foot washing becomes important. And you gave that job to the person of least importance in the house. They went to the youngest kid or the slave of the, you know, the, if the house had a slave, then the slave did it, right? And so the servant or whoever, whoever had the least status in the house is the one who did the foot washing. And that's why, that's why in John 13, 4, when the disciples are about to eat this meal, and it says, so during the meal, Jesus stood up and he took off his outer clothing and taking a towel, he wrapped it around his waist. And everyone knew what that meant. This was, again, they'd seen other people do this over and over again, but not Jesus, not the Son of God, never the, the, the host 
of the party. And so he starts, he starts wrapping this towel around his waist, and everyone's like, what is he doing? You can't do that. Like, that's not your job. You can't. What are you doing? But Jesus was so humble, and he, he was never afraid. He was never afraid to be the lowest-ranking person in the room. As the Son of God, he wasn't afraid of that. And that's rooted in that security that we talked about, but when it's on display, it's so powerful. You know, we were taught when um, we were learning how to, how to serve in, the, in our campus ministry back in Florida, we were always taught, you know, you walk into a room and fight your way to the bottom. Fight your way down to, to the least important place and, and find the person that, that no one's talking to and, and find the thing that no one else wants to do and do that thing. And it, it's awesome because when you start doing that, then you start re- finding joy in it and you start removing yourself. It's funny because you need, you need security in order to be humble, but when you start practicing humility, it brings a lot of security. Jesus is cool like that. He multitasks, right? Like it's, it's awesome when you start being okay with, with not needing the status or the recognition or, or feeling like anything's above you, then it, you realize you didn't need any of that in the first place. And when Jesus, because Jesus didn't need that, he was able to serve in incredible ways. And it's cool because it, serving in, in humility and true humility allows us to do a couple of cool things. It, it connects us with God in incredible ways because that's the heart of God is, is just to serve others. And so when we are serving others humbly, we are doing exactly what, the God, what God wants us to do. We're doing exactly what Jesus would do in that case. And so we, we have this deep connection with God. And you start seeing other things that we could be doing because, again, you're putting yourself in his mindset. You're there. And then also we get a deep connection with the people around us because no one wants to be around the arrogant person, right? They wear you out. Someone who's always got to have it their way, somebody who's, who's demanding, who, you know, who's difficult. Those are the people you need a break from, right? But people that are humble, that are always, I never get tired of someone who's ready to come over to my house and do the dishes and take out the trash, right? Come on, <laughs> bring it. We love it. My favorite, right? You don't get tired of those people. <laughs> when, we're, when we're humble, it opens doors. It opens doors in our relationship with God, and it opens doors with other people that you may not have in other ways. You know, I can be awkward sometimes. I don't always know how to, how to talk to somebody. But, but humility can be that open door. I don't have to have the perfect thing to say. We were, we were playing disc golf with um, with our college ministry uh, Wednesday, which was a lot of fun. And, and one of the guys that came along was a guest. And I, I'm sitting there, and we're like halfway through the course, and I really haven't said anything to him except nice shot. This <laughs> is really like building that relationship, you know. And I'm like, man, what am I going to like? I, there's got to be something I can say that's not super awkward. I just really didn't know. And so finally I just said, you know, hey, you know, like Kaylee's having trouble. Can you help her? And, and just that, that vulnerability of like, I'm her dad, but I don't know how to do this. And he's got this, you know, crate full of discs and knows how to, you know, which of the 20 to pick. And, and it was awesome. That opened the door to conversation because I was willing to be vulnerable and he was humble about it. And didn't, you know, he was way more excited than helping this 11-year-old girl than he was, you know, this, this guy who could throw it, you know, 400 feet. You know, it was so cool. Humility opens the door in relationships and it allows us to get places that we, we could, wouldn't have access to otherwise. And Jesus was able to, to get into relationships that, that he couldn't have if he wasn't so humble. In Philippians 2, 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Again, remember, the difference between superheroes and supervillains is who they serve. It's who they care about more. Are you the most important thing, or are others more important? When we reach out to people, we talk a lot in this church about reaching out. We've, we've built our whole mindset around reaching out to people and, and sharing the love of God with them. Not because we thought that'd be the best, but because it, the best we can tell, that was the whole point of Jesus coming to earth. Amen? But we don't come down, just like Jesus, you know, Jesus came down and he had every right to feel superior because he flat out was, in every way, better than us. But he came humbly, washing feet, and, and just said, I love God. God's love has blessed me. Come be in this love with me. Let me love you like that. And, and we have no reason to feel superior, superiority over anyone. And so all the more reason to come humbly, right? We are going to reach out, and we are going to share with people, and we are going to reach into their mess. But we're not going to reach into their mess and say, look how good we are. Come be not messed up like us. Right? We're going to say, look, as a fellow messed up person, come find the solutions that I'm finding. Come, come be alongside this, this path that I'm walking that I've, I've dodged so many potholes and I've avoided so much pain. And it, Jesus pulled me out of so many thorny places because, because he knows the better way. We come with humility. We come with truth, but we come with humility. And finally, if we're going to be super servants... If I'm going to be a super servant, I must be active. And you can kind of like bold out active, act in the word active, because we must act. Ultimately, all of this, it's never enough to just feel something or think something. At some point, it's got to be followed by action or it's not going to work. In John 13, 5, he sa- it says, Then he poured water into a bowl and he began to wash his followers' feet and he dried them with the towel that was wrapped around him. It was, it was more than just a thought. He didn't just feel kindly toward the disciples. He didn't just like them. He didn't just enjoy hanging around them. He acted on it. He did things that showed them that love and displayed that love and made it real to them. In, in J- James 2, 16 through 17, it says, For instance, you come across an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved, and you say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? We've, we've got plenty. The, we are all filled up with God talk. There is pl- you can turn on the TV anytime and hear God talk. But without God acts, it just doesn't work. It's worse than if it wasn't there. Because God talk without God acts is hypocrisy, and, and the world's not blind to that. The world hears all the God talk. What they're missing is seeing the God act. Jesus finishes washing his disciples' feet, and this is what he says to them. After washing their feet, in all the examples, it's not just the washing of feet. It's everything he's done. It's, it's all the concern he showed for them. It's all the times that they've seen him love the people that were unlovable. It's all the sacrifices that he's made. And after all of those sacrifices, after everything they've seen for him, he culminates all of it and he says, now that you've seen these things, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That's how you get, we all want to be blessed, 
That's the avenue to the blessing. You'll be blessed if you do those things. If you don't do those things, there's no blessing. We'll be blessed if we do the things that Jesus did, all the things that Jesus did. Going to church is not what makes us different. The disciples weren't, they didn't do superhero things because they hung out with Jesus. They hung out with Jesus for three and a half years and they didn't look like superheroes at the end of that. The reasons the disciples did superhero things is because they saw their Lord sacrifice himself, bust through the grave and bring a way to heaven for them. And that inspired in them a love that changed them forever. And then they started doing superhero things. Then they started looking like superheroes. And they still had weaknesses, but with the love of Christ and with the power of Christ, they started doing things that are straight out of comic books. They started serving in a way. Not only did they have power, but they had love that taught them to serve. And they went to the ends of the earth as they knew it in order to share that love with people they had never met before. Because Jesus went to the ends of the earth to find me and to find you. There was no length he wouldn't go to. He had superpower, and he was willing to provide super service for us. And that's what sets us apart. I want us to be great. I don't want us to be fine. So many people are fine. You know, we've got a world burning around us with, with lostness and confusion and doubt and insecurity. It is burning around us, and I don't want to be fine. I want to be great, but I want to be great as Jesus defines it. And he says, in order for us to be great, for this church to be great, the only way we're going to get there is to serve. He who wants to be greatest must be the servant of all. <clears throat> Let's be that servant for all. Why don't you all pray with me? <clears throat> Father God, thank you for being a servant. Thank you for seeing us in our mess and seeing everything that we struggle with and all the all the ways that we reject you and, and frustrate you, I'm sure. Um, and Father, yet you see us and you love us and you say, my child, you are vulnerable, but you are valuable. And you came down and you sent your son and you saved us through him. And, and Father, may we embrace that and may we share the love that he showed us. May we love the way that he loved, the way that he loves. Lord, help us to have our eyes and our ears and our hearts open this week. Help us to see people for who they are as 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 precious, as, as valuable and vulnerable. And may we act and provide service to them through your love. In Jesus' name, amen.